What an incredible worship experience we've already enjoyed this morning. Uh, first of all, welcome again to all of our new members, uh, many of whom have been visiting with us quite a long time. We're just so grateful to have you as part of our church family, and uh, just welcome. I uh, want to join with Tony in welcoming those online. Blake, we're glad to have you back. Uh, always appreciate Blake. He's just a tremendous worship leader, and uh, we miss him when he's gone. We're glad he's back. Mark, thank you for the communion thoughts this morning, beautiful thoughts to bring us around the Lord's table, and then to celebrate our interns. Uh, I tell you, our youth program would suffer greatly if not for interns uh, being here in the summer because of so many activities. And, and believe me, all you got to do is talk to Haley and William, they'll tell you, boy, what a blessing uh, these guys are. Uh, and so we're glad that they have been with us this summer and wish them the best as they head back to school and back to their respective homes. Uh, we have been working through a series called Discovering the Mission of God, and we finished up our third component today, which has to do with the gospel. And we've been talking about how, you know, what is the gospel, how do you respond to the gospel, and then for this month, we've been looking at the subject of what are the blessings of the gospel. And so as we've been working through what these blessings are, we've talked about forgiveness, Acts 2.38, you know, you repent, you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, the remission, the taking away of your sins. We follow that up by talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Same text, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about what it means to become a child of God. Why is being a member of the family of God so important? And what does it mean to be heirs and co-heirs of Jesus Christ? Christ our Lord. Someone this weekend won through, you know, the, the system we have set up in the country to raise taxes. They won one point, what was it, two, six billion dollars. I saw someone Saturday who says, boy, I have bought, and I forget how many lottery tickets he said he had bought. He didn't win, okay, just so that you know. This was somebody up in, in I think, Illinois. And uh, I said, really, would you want to be shackled with $1.2 billion? And he said, yes. And I'm like, okay. But you want to talk about someone's life that just changed in dramatic ways. Uh, and, and, and when I think about that, I, I think about the fact that that doesn't even begin to even get close to what those of us who are children of God are going to inherit. And so instead of going out and buying lottery tickets, I just want to encourage you to be faithful to God and await the reward that's coming your way. And we're going to talk about that reward a little bit more today. Uh, we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to spend eternity with God? What is everlasting life? And I choose my words very wisely this morning. I want to be very careful in what I say. And, and for some of you, this will be something you've heard a long time ago. For others of you, it'll be brand new. And, and let me just warn you to be careful as I kind of go through the text this morning. I remember years ago uh, preaching on this particular text and, and someone that I love and appreciate very much that was the first time they had ever heard me speak, and I was speaking on the, today's topic. 
And uh, they have told me that when they went home that evening after I'd spoken, that uh, as they were talking with their family, they said, we don't know where in the world the elders got that guy, but he's, he's nuts. He's just nuts. He's crazy. I don't have a clue what he was talking about. And, and that's the response that I had the first time I went back and began to investigate this particular subject. What does it mean to live forever with God. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who was in a gospel meeting many, many, many years ago. He was just a little bitty guy. He was about four years old. And the last night of the gospel meeting, the preacher preached on eternity with God. I'll explain that more here in a moment. And he basically said eternity with God is like one continuous forever Sunday morning church service. Y'all supposed to be laughing at this point, okay? Because when he went home that night, he's in the back seat of the car. His dad's an elder in this church, and he's crying. And his mother turns around and says, what's wrong? To which he said, Mama, please don't make me go to heaven. Please don't make me go to heaven. You know, for a four-year-old, one continuous forever church service was just a nightmare. And, and I can admit, for those of us who are older, it might fall in the same classification. So what does it mean to live life forever with God? Revelation 21.3 kind of grabs the heart of what this means. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God. And so this is either coming from God or Jesus. Right now in heaven, there are two thrones side by side. God sitting on the one in the center. Right to his right is the one that Jesus is sitting on, the throne of David. And so which one is speaking here, we don't know. My guess is both. Both are uh, saying this, but it's with a loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God's going to live among us. And notice what it says, and he will dwell with them because they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And so you get this glimpse of eternity, of us dwelling with God, God dwelling with us. He's our God. We're his people. We're his sons and daughters. That's kind of a glimpse of what the future holds. But here's the question. How does the Bible betray everlasting life with God? And this is where I'm going to challenge some of you this morning. Now, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you've probably heard a series I preached or I taught two or three years ago called Better Than Heaven. It was a six-month-long series, but it was a Wednesday night series. And I, and I know our, our, our crowds were limited at that time frame. But, but in it, I wanted to kind of help you go with me on a journey that I went through about 20 years ago as I was challenged about what the future of the Christian is. Now, I grew up probably like a lot of you, and I was told that eternity is either about heaven or hell. In fact, it's not unusual at all to be driving down the road and to see a billboard. I remember a couple of years ago, Gina and I were going to Florida, and on I-65 down in Alabama, big billboard, heaven, question mark, or hell, question mark, your choice. And, and I know that that's the way I was brought up, but when I began to go back and to question that, I discovered that the Bible actually pointed in a very different direction. Let me give you an example. Here's a song that we sing all the time. 
Uh, well, let me rephrase that. We used to sing all the time. No, no reflection on you, Blake, at all. I appreciate, you know, I mean, I love the singing we have. But this is one of the old hymns we used to sing. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. Now, that's true. That statement is 100% true. But it reflects a view that I, I want us to challenge this morning. John 14, 1 to 3, if you've been to a funeral, you know, over the years, you know that this is one of the favorite passages that, that preachers quote. And it's where Jesus, right before he's going to go to the cross, the night before he's betrayed, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare? Remember that word there, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, we just kind of assume that is about heaven, even though the word heaven is never mentioned. But that's got to be about heaven. That's, you know, the assumption. And I, I assume the same thing for years and years and years. We go to another text. This is Revelation 21. This is a description, at least for many people, of heaven. And you see kind of the way it's described here. The walls was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city was decorated with every kind of precious stone. And you see in yellow there all of these different stones that made up the foundation. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made out of a singular pearl. And the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. And so it's not unusual at all to have a loved one to die and someone to get up and say, you know, our dear sister is right now walking the streets of gold. Are we? Is, what, is that what happens after we die? I mean, is that what this is even talking about? And so let me walk you through the text this morning. And here's what I want to say to you. I want to simply go back to the text. Let Scripture guide you. If you walk out of here thinking this morning, that guy is nuts. You won't be the first, you won't be the last, and June would probably tell you sometimes she thinks the same thing, okay? And so let me just go ahead and say that. But let me say this most of all. I'm not going to tell you anything I don't give a thus saith the Lord. You can believe the scripture, or you can say, well, that must mean something else than what Brother Lass is saying it means. But that's your choice. But at least let the scripture, don't believe me, let the scripture be your guide. Because the Bible appears to betray a very different future for the people than that which we've traditionally been taught, even I having taught it in the past. We begin with Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10. Jesus doesn't say a lot about heaven. If you go and just look in your concordance, you'll see the word usually referred to as kingdom of heaven, which is the church. We're the kingdom of heaven right now. And so oftentimes he'll refer to that. He'll talk about coming from heaven. He'll talk about going back to heaven. But as far as eternity, Jesus doesn't describe it as heaven. He instead describes it this way. Here's where the apostles have come to Jesus. They said, Lord, we left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? And Jesus responds, truly I tell you, no one who has left, and then he goes through everything that the apostles had left, 
For me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And then he begins to talk about homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and home and, and, and fields. These are the things they have left, along with persecutions, he says. That'll be here. But then notice what he says. But in the age to come, one of the things, if you'd lived in the first century, is you had heard Jesus talk about the present age and the age to come. It's an old Jewish or Hebrew expression. You go back to the Old Testament, and Jesus would have called it this, the olam haba. That, that's the literal phrase. In the olam haba, in the age or the world to come, here's what's going to take place. And so Jesus is going to describe what is the future of God's people. That's the very thing he's talking about. Now, at the very heart of it is this reality of there being two thrones in heaven. You have to understand this concept. When God made his covenant with David, here's what he said to David way back in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Notice the language there. It's going to endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so the promise of God was that a descendant of David would one day sit on his throne and his kingdom would last forever. I mean, through eternity. And of course, we know that when Jesus died, was raised again, he ascended back to heaven, Acts chapter 1, and took his place at the right hand of God. I'm on the wrong side. At the right hand of God. Psalm 110 verse 1. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Those passages talk about how that Jesus is going to sit at the right hand of God and bring all of God's enemies underneath his feet. And so you have that image of Jesus sitting on the throne of David. And notice Revelation. As Revelation describes that very process. This is Revelation chapter 11. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said... The kingdom of the world, the kingdom that's in rebellion against God, the kingdom that, you know, has gone its own way, notice what has now happened, has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Messiah. In other words, Jesus right now is bringing that which is rebelled against God back under God's authority. Now, you may look around at the world and say, I don't see it. They didn't see it in Jesus' day either. But he is doing it, I promise you. And then notice what it says about Jesus. And he will reign forever and ever. In other words, he's on that throne right now, and his kingdom is never going to end. Now watch how we play into it. To understand the kingdom of God, you need to go back to the Old Testament. You know, we, we don't spend a lot of time, at least when I was growing up, in the Old Testament. My greatest weakness when I went to college was I took New Testament courses, not Old Testament courses. And, and so now here I am, a much older preacher, looking back and going, how in the world do you get a Bible degree and not study the book of Isaiah? I, I still don't, that just kind of blows my mind. It should be required that every major in Bible take the book of Isaiah. Why? Because Isaiah says more about Jesus and more about the future than any other book of the Old Testament. Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel because it predicts so much about Jesus. But it also predicts the olam haba, the age to come. 
Look at what it says. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leper will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. What in the world is Isaiah looking at? He's looking at an age where all violence, even among animals, disappear. That there will be no killing. There will be no slaughter. That everything will be peace. In fact, back 100, 200 years ago, there were artists who would paint this very scene and they would call it the peaceable kingdom. And then notice, they'll neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. Again, violence is all gone. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Now Isaiah, when will that happen? And Isaiah tells us, Now again, there are prophecies in the Old Testament that because we are New Testament Christians, and I I get it, I understand the importance of the New Covenant, but we miss some of these incredible prophecies. Here's one of them. Isaiah 65, verse 17. God is the speaker. And he says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Now what's what's God doing? He's going back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now here in Isaiah 65, God God comes back and he says, By the way, this one got messed up, so I'm going to create new heavens and a new earth. And then he describes it. Remember this, because we're going to come back in a few moments. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And by the way, he repeats the promise in Isaiah 66. Now, what is this... New heavens and new earth that's predicted. I mean, maybe that's just another word for heaven. Now, if he wanted to say heaven, he would have said heaven. He says heavens and earth, mimicking Genesis 1-1. Why? Look at Jesus. Matthew 19, verse 28. Again, this is one of those texts of where Peter's wanting to know what's going to happen to us in the future. And look at what Jesus tells him. One of those strange passages that when I was growing up, a preacher never preached on. I mean, I never heard this text ever even addressed. Didn't even know it was there until I was probably in my 20s, maybe even early 30s. Look at the text. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. And he tells us whatever that means, renewal of all things. He tells us what that means. Look at it. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Now, you say, well, Jesus is on his throne right now. Yes, but this is a little bit later because notice what he says. He says, you you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, talking about the 12 apostles, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's looking at judgment day. Jesus is on his throne. The apostles are assisting in the judgment process. But notice again that language right there. This is going to happen at the renewal of all things. King James Version says regeneration. It's a fascinating word that's used there. The Greek word is palingenesia. Palingenesia is only used twice in all the New Testament. Here, and in Titus 3, 5, talking about our rebirth as Christians. 
In other words, when you obey the gospel and you come out of the waters of baptism, what has happened is palingenesia. You have been created anew. The word literally is a compound word. You see it in the second line here. Palin means again. Genesea, we get a Bible, book of the Bible named after that, Genesis. And it literally means, again, creation. When God creates again. Peter's going to pick up on this in Acts chapter 3. He's going to say the exact same thing. Use it a little bit different. But notice the language. Heaven must receive Jesus. In other words, he's got to sit at the right hand of God. Until when? Until the time comes for God to restore everything. Interesting word. It's a word that describes something like a car that's been found in a barn that's in terrible shape. Somebody buys it. They take it to a restore uh, like towel restorations here in Nashville, and what do they do? They put it back like new. Restoration. And here's Peter saying, God one day is going to restore all things. Now, what's fascinating about this is that when you turn to Revelation 21, that's exactly what the voice says is happening. Look at Revelation 21. He who is seated on the throne, there we go with that, whoever that is, said, I am making everything new. By the way, what does the word everything mean? You know, it's kind of like the question, what does the word therefore mean? Well, the word therefore means what is it there for, right? And everything means everything. And here is God saying, I'm making everything new. I'm making new heavens, new earth. I am making everything the way it was intended to be. Why? What's going on? 2 Peter chapter 3 is going to describe this process. And it's a fascinating description. By the way, you can take 2 Peter 3 and Revelation 20, 21, 22 put them together, and you've got as complete a description of the future as you'll find anywhere, okay? Isaiah will back it up, but those two texts are huge. Notice how Peter walks us through the end of time. He says, by the same word, the word that created the heavens and the earth, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. In other words, what's going to happen to the earth we're living on right now? It's going to be burned up. The heavens as we see them are going to be burned up. That's what the text says. Being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. In other words, when Jesus returns, the dead are raised, judgment takes place. This world that we live on along with the heavens that surround us are going to be burned up. Look at Peter as he goes into detail. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. I don't know if y'all have watched this news as those fires in California are depicted. And boy, the roar of that flame, you're like, wow, it scared me to death. Wait until this one happens. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. A word there, which literally means, that word laid bare means to take something that's got impurities in it, throw it in a fire until you burn all the impurities out of it. That's what the word means. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? And he says, you better live holy and godly lives. Why? 
Because that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Now there's a lot of people who will say, that's right, Brother Les, and that's when we fly off to heaven. You know, I'll fly away. Except that's not what the text says. You see, a lot of us simply don't want to read through the text. Look at the next verse in the text. But in keeping with this promise, what promise? The promise made in Isaiah. Look at the very words that he uses. But in keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness, or it could be translated where the righteous will dwell. Now I know for some of you, you're going, whew, you're throwing a lot at us. I know I am. I mean, if you've never heard this, it's like drinking water out of a fire hose, you know. But the text is there. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul will talk about this current creation and how it groans. And look at what he says. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God. Creation wants us to be resurrected. Why? Look at why creation longs for it. For the creation was subjected to frustration. You see, the earth and all the heavens were never intended to be what they are right now. They were intended to be just glorious, bringing glory and honor to God. But our sin brought them under subjugation to decay. Look at the language there. It was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. By the way, what is bondage to decay? Look in the mirror in the morning. All of us are in bondage to decay. I mean, the older I get, the more decayed I become. Right? I mean, you think about it. I get up and my knees hurting, my arms hurting. I got up last night at 12.30, took an a leave because I'm like, man, I have got to preach tomorrow. Some of you are thinking you should have taken a couple more. I probably should have. But we're in bondage to decay. Our bodies are wearing out. We all know that. Well, creation is the same way. Creation, I mean, look at our earth and what's happening to it. And God says, but one day I'll fix all of it. I'll give you a new incorruptible body, and I will make a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, Peter says it, Isaiah says it, and John says it. John in Revelation 21, 22 gives us the final picture. And look at the picture. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's in quotes because that comes out of Isaiah. That's the reason the translators put it that way. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. How? They had been burned up, Peter says. Sea's gone as well. Everything's gone. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. You remember when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you? John 14. Look at the place he's prepared. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Go back to Isaiah 65. Drop down just a few verses after God said, I'll create new heavens and new earth. He also says, I'll create a new Jerusalem. A new city of peace. And notice he, John sees it, the new Jerusalem. The Hebrew writer, Hebrews 12, calls it the heavenly Jerusalem, which is exactly what it is right now. It's up there being prepared for us. John sees it as it comes down out of heaven to the new earth. And then notice, prepared 
as a bride. That word prepared there is the exact same Greek word as John 14 when Jesus said, I go to prepare. The exact same word. Beautifully dressed for her husband. And you get that verse we looked at earlier that says, Now God dwells with his people. We're his people. He's our God. And he's going to wipe away every tear from everyone's eyes. No more death, mourning, crying, pain. The old order has passed away. As Isaiah says, what happened before won't even be remembered. And then you turn to the next chapter. You know, we, we have skipped Revelation, unfortunately, down through the years. We, we felt like we couldn't understand it. Let me tell you, we can understand far more than we think we can. Especially those last three chapters. So essential for us understanding what awaits us in the future. And so here's the picture of the heavenly Jerusalem. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, one of the big themes in John's gospel. As clear as crystal. Boy, I read that and I can't help but those mountain streams up in Gatlinburg. I mean, just as clear as it can be. And that's the description that's made of this river. Flowing from the throne of God. It's literally coming from where Jesus and God himself are sitting. And it flows down the middle of that gold street. And on either side of it, guess what? Is the tree of life. And I love the statement here. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. I love fruit trees. I've got apple trees. I've got nectarine trees, pear trees. I've got a cherry tree. The only problem with trees is that they only bear about one month out of the year. Not so in eternity. The tree of life is available year-round. And he goes on and he says, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And then the big one, the curse is gone. No more gray hair. Unless you want gray hair. Okay? No, no, no more aches and pains. No more death. No more suffering. No more watching a loved one pass away. All of that is gone. Why? The curse has been lifted. And the throne of God and of his lamb is right there in that city. And we're going to serve him there. And this is what I love. We'll get to see his face. Can you see God's face now without dying? Then we'll see his face. And not only that, his name will be on our foreheads. And you're like, why is his name on his foreheads? It's a way of saying, you're mine. You're mine. No light except the light that comes from God. We're not going to need the sun. No night anymore. And then this is what I love the most. And they will reign the day there. It's you. It's you. It's you and me. And we will reign with Jesus. Forever and ever. And you go, rain? What are you talking about rain? What do you mean rule? You see, God created us to be co-regents with him. Rulers over his creation. That's what we are supposed to have been when God created us in Genesis. Look at David's description of us. This is one of the beautiful Psalms. Psalm 8, verses 4 and 6. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? human beings that you care for them you've made them a little lower than the angels but you've crowned them with glory and honor and then look at this verse 6 up here this needs to be seared in all of our brains because this is why God created us and this is what he's restoring us to you made them rulers 
over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. And that's what God's restoring us to. Now you say, what and how will we reign over this new heaven and new earth? That's the best part. That's what we get to experience. And that's why it's called good news. You will not want to miss it, I promise you. Now, my mother and dad never heard me preach this sermon. Dad died believing that he's going to spend eternity in heaven. And that's okay. I mean, I'm going to die not knowing a lot about eternity myself, that when I finally get there and God says, by the way, you did know I was talking about this. And I'll go, no, I didn't. He said, yeah, I know you didn't. You know. I mean, all of us are going to bring our ignorance into eternity with God. And there he will make us aware of what he's always had planned for us. But let me tell you, you will not want to miss it. So if you're not a child of God, you've never received the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Spirit, you've never become a son or daughter of Him, if you haven't, you will not experience the eternity that awaits you. Why don't you come today, put Him on in baptism, repent of your sins, become a part of this incredible kingdom. You can do that right now as a gathering.